What's up, bigots? Hello, hello. Hello, hello, hello. What's going on, everybody? I'm going deep today. I'm going deep today on the Rockefeller Foundation. We're talking about one of the bedrocks of the modern economic, social, and medical order that we see rapidly emerging in this uh, in this new era, right? What the what was coined by Brzezinski, this is the big new Brzezinski, to be the Technotronic Era at the Rockefeller Foundation laid the foundation for everything that we see happening now today in the modern medical system and the modern economic system and the system of governance. Right? The idea of public-private partnerships that you see lauded by the world, not the World Health Organization, but the, uh, the World Economic Forum, Klaus Schwab, Klaus Eil Schwab, this model of public-private partnerships is nothing new, is nothing new. In fact, the idea of social engineering a new normal is nothing new. Right? We're talking about the OG new normal. The new normal creators of a hundred years ago, the makers of the new normal of the last century, right? the philanthropo capitalists, philanthropic endeavors, philanthropy. Right? Remember, if you get enough, if you get enough money, you get to buy. You get to buy your own PR. You get to mold history. And the Rockefeller Foundation has done just that. Not only have they molded our economic order, our transportation system, but they're instrumental in erecting the modern medical system as well. This modern medical system that is steeped in an ideology of sociology, in an ideology of social engineering, in an ideology of human engineering. All right, now, because it's not just about keeping us healthy, is it? It's not just about keeping us safe, is it? No, it's about much more than that. So we're live on YouTube. We're live on Rockfin as well. Got the YouTube bigots jumping in. Got the Rockfin bigots jumping in. You guys, if you're on YouTube, the second half of this is going to be Rockfin exclusive. The second half of this, we're going to be getting into some of the stuff that YouTube doesn't want to hear about. YouTube does not wish you to talk about some of these things because, of course, big tech, Google, YouTube's parent company, also steeped in the same ideology that we're going to be critiquing and exposing today. You wouldn't have big tech if you didn't have the Rockefeller Foundation. You wouldn't have big pharma if you didn't have the Rockefeller Foundation. Right, so we got Rockfin exclusive, second half. There's a link in the description down below. Guys, check us out on Rockfin. Make sure you sign up for a free account. Make a free account over there, and you can watch it live on Rockfin tonight. After the fact, this is going to go exclusively as premium content over there on Rockfin. Let's see. Make sure we're streaming. We're still streaming. We're still good. It's going to be premium and exclusive on Rockfin after we are done streaming tonight. So if you're watching this as a replay on YouTube and you want that second half, but we're going deep on the modern medical system. We're going deep on this huge push to track, to trace, and to inject every single one of us. 
Right, we're going deep on all of this. Make sure we're, yeah, we're live on Rockfin. Just a big shout out, big shout out to the Rockfin crew over there. We got Chris Mullenfield throwing a $2 tip. Thank you very much, Chris. William Kareen says, I've been waiting for years for you to cover some of this Rockefeller material. Appreciate all the other stuff you do. This has always perked my ears. Cool, William. I'm glad, I'm glad you are uh, excited about this topic. It's an important topic, man. It's an important topic. And we've talked about the Rockefeller Foundation and their massive influence in the medical system. We've talked about bits and pieces of this, but today we're consolidating it into a multi-part. We're beginning the consolidation of all this information into a multi-part series, which these lectures, unfortunately, are going to go far beyond just, uh, just a one. Not unfortunately, but fortunately, because we're going deep. We're going far beyond just, just a single... Uh, you know, we're not just going to Wikipedia and <laughs> reading use of Wikipedia quotes. We're going hard. We're going hard. So after the first hour, YouTube's going to end. The second hour or two, we might go an hour and a half or so on YouTube. I mean, this is going to be long. I got tons of notes here. We're going to be pulling from several sources today. One of the main texts that we're going to be referencing today, one of the main recommendations that I suggest all of you guys get a hold of and read is an important work called The Molecular Vision of Life, Caltech, Rockefeller Foundation, and the Rise of the New Biology by Lily E. K. Right? That is The Molecular Vision of Life. Yeah, Caltech, the Rockefeller Foundation, and the Rise of the New Biology, Lily E. K. So you guys watching on Rockfin, you guys watching on YouTube, you want to get deeper into this? You want to get deeper into this? Then you will be implored to get this book. Lily E.K. has done a fantastic job at breaking down the ideology behind the Rockefeller Foundation, the roots of the Rockefeller Foundation, the ideology of the, of the Rockefeller Foundation being actually steeped in, guess which ideology? Eugenics. The idea of social control, the idea of overpopulation, the necessity of reducing the population, the necessity of controlling human movement, and also the ideals of the Protestant Reformation, right? We're talking about major influence of Protestantism in these families. Surprise, surprise. I know a lot of you, a lot of you folks, a lot of you folks out there who've done, who've been dipping your toe into some surface level research and have fallen into certain traps of blaming single ethnicities for all the problems in the world. When you look at the Rockefeller Foundation, you look at the roots of this ideology, it is steeped in Protestantism. Yeah, so... <sighs> Let's start from the beginning. Let's start from the beginning, taking it way back. I'm going to pull up some visual stimulus as well. The Rockefeller Foundation started in 1913. You can see their logo right here on the screen. The Rockefeller Foundation, 1913. The well-being of mankind throughout the world. The well-being of mankind. Oh, the well-being of mankind. It's the well-being, does that sound familiar? All right, we've got this new economic model Happy to listen being talked about with the UN, World Economic Forum, placing not GDP, but placing well-being at the center and at the crux of the new economic system that they want to create. Well-being. Right, so the, the Rockefeller Foundation has well-being right there in their old slogan. Right there, well-being. Yeah. Well-being. Speaking of well-being, thank you guys over there on Rockfin. You guys over there on Rockfin actually supporting the stream. We get 
Look at that. We got no, no support from the Streamlabs on YouTube. If you guys got questions, comments, you want your questions or comments read on air, the Streamlabs link is there for you YouTubers. All you guys up on YouTube, the Streamlabs link is in the description. These streams are 100% sponsored by you guys. We, got, we don't get that Rockefeller Foundation money. We're 100% sponsored by the viewers. If you guys like it, please support it. Like William Kareen over there, thank you very much. Spring Breakfast hit five bucks over there on, uh, on uh, Rockfin as well. Thank you very much. Rockfin is awesome. You know, you can, it's cool. You can tip after the fact on Rockfin. So if people like a video, they can tip after the live stream goes down, which is fantastic. Spring Breakfast tip five bucks. It's perfect timing for the stream since I've been wanting to know the origins of the pharmaceutical industry. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. The modern pharmaceutical industry, you would not have this without the Rockefeller Foundation. You wouldn't have the WHO without the Rockefeller Foundation. You wouldn't have the UN if it weren't for John D. Rockefeller. Guess who donated the land that the UN sits on? Right? So the drivers of health policy now, that's what we're going to get into the second half. And this big push to track, to trace, to inject every single person in a standardized global medical system is nothing new. We're going to the roots of this. Yon World tipped 20 bucks. Thank you, Yon World. ELC also tipped 10 bucks. Thank you guys so much over there on Rockfin. Setting a good example for the YouTube crew. You guys, if you like it, please support the stream. You can tip over there through Streamlabs. Got any questions or comments? All right, so the Rockefeller Foundation, 1913. 1913, right? Remember the, the Federal Reserve. Federal Reserve came about as well, 1913. Pull this uh, picture up here of Papa Rockefeller. Papa Rock. There we go. Here we go. Here we have John D. Rockefeller's father, right? John D. Rockefeller, the first billionaire. The first billionaire, the first so-called philanthropist as well. The original Bill Gates, right? Everybody knows about Bill Gates now. Bill Gates rebranding himself from the tech robber baron. The tech robber baron who essentially took the torch of the Rockefeller dynasty, moving it into the uh, 21st century. Bill Gates rebranded himself as a philanthropist, but John D. Rockefeller did this a hundred years ago. That's racism, man. I love to racism. That's racism, man. And you know what? These Rockefeller folks, they also love to racism, bro. But they've shifted their racism, bro, <laughs> to a slightly different perspective, to a slightly different methodology. Diego donated five bucks over there in uh, Streamlabs. Thanks, Diego. Diego stepping up, winning the Streamlabs competition over there on YouTube. Says, got my Primal Edge membership yesterday. Can't wait to change my life. God bless Tristan. Right on, man. Hey, we'll see you in there in the private membership forum. We do weekly coaching calls in there, right? So if you're trying to dial in your health, your lifestyle, your diet, that's a great place to do it. We do weekly coaching calls in there. We just did a coaching call yesterday. So next week will be the next coaching call. Maybe we'll do, I think we're Tuesday or Wednesday going to be the next one. So Diego, make sure, send me a DM in there if you need anything. Make yourself at home. And you guys in the chat watching, if you guys want to do the same, the link is in the description. All right. So John D. Rockefeller. Mr. Rockefeller. All right, so the father of John D. Rockefeller is William Avery, a.k.a. Devil Bill Rockefeller Sr. What a great name, right? What a great name. Devil Bill Rockefeller Sr. He was a notorious con artist, full-on con artist, land speculator, money lender as well, right? Now, he grew up in a family that wasn't necessarily loaded. He didn't come from a long line of bankers, 
he made his way in the world, swindling and conning people. He became a predatory moneylender. He would loan to farmers with 12% interest <laughs> with the goal of actually foreclosing on them. Right? So he would find poor farmers that he knew wouldn't be able to pay the interest. He knew they wouldn't be able to pay him back. And he would intentionally lend to them in a predatory manner so that he could intentionally foreclose on these poor folks. That was Bill's game. That was his whole thing. Little history on William Avery Rockefeller Sr., a.k.a. Devil Bill. He was actually indicted for rape. Raped a woman at gunpoint, an employee in his Auburn home. He ended up having to sell his home. Some people speculate he sold his home so he could skip town and avoid prosecution. Rebranded himself after this as Dr. Bill Levingston. Right? So much like other modern characters who are trans doctors. I myself, I'm actually a trans doctor as well. This man... Devil Bill, who looks like he could be my great-great-grandfather. Look at that guy. They look, they look so similar. Got that, that bald man, bad look. Um, <laughs> Devil Bill here rebranded himself as Bill Livingston. Levingston, rather. Excuse me. Dr. Bill Levingston. And he started being a snake oil salesman. He was a traveling snake oil salesman. Sold what he called rock oil, which is petroleum-based junk. Probably carcinogenic. Petroleum-based oil. He called it rock oil and sold it as a fake cancer cure. Said this is going to cure your cancer. Oh, how the times have changed. Now the modern medical system, which is essentially run through the foundation <clears throat> that was set up by his grandson and son. This dude who raped a woman at gunpoint <laughs> and sold rock oil. Fake cancer cures. Even he cruised around. This dude pretended. This dude pretended to be deaf and dumb. On his sales pitch. This was part of his sales pitch. He would pretend to be deaf and dumb. And he would bring about a piece of slate and a piece of chalk. And he would write down his sales pitch. Like he, I don't know if this was to gain sympathy. To make, him, uh, to make the person feel like maybe he's, oh, this poor old man needs some, this poor old man. He just needs a little bit of money. Rock oil. Oops. There you go. Yeah, so he used, to, <laughs> he used to sell rock oil and pretend to be deaf and dumb. Pretend to be deaf and dumb. Um, he had kind of a, a little secret family history as well before he married Eliza, his wife Eliza, who was the mother of John D. Rockefeller and William Avery Rockefeller Jr. Right? John D. Rockefeller Sr. was his son. William Avery Rockefeller Jr. his other son that started Standard Oil together. You know, he, he, uh, he actually had a, a mistress and he had some children with this mistress. His ex-wife who he ended up leaving, but never actually legally divorcing, and then going off with another woman. He, I don't think he had kids with a second woman. But the guy was kind of a notorious philanderer. Notorious philanderer, snake oil salesman, selling fake cancer cures, selling carcinogenic cancer cures. Right? Oh, and uh, we're, <laughs> we're going to probably get into a little bit of that on the, uh, <laughs> on the second half. That's going to be Rockfin exclusive. Right, so this dude was just a straight-up... Savage liar and salesman. Slinging snake oil, pretending to be deaf and dumb. <laughs> this, guy, this guy was just a, a terrible, awful example of a human being for his sons. Right, so his sons, 
John D. Rockefeller Sr., William Avery Rockefeller Jr. He also had another son and three daughters, but they ended up starting Standard Oil. John Avery Rockefeller Jr., the other part of Standard Oil, became kind of a banker, started Citigroup, Citibank you have now. Uh, he was the co-founder of Standard Oil. Bill actually he used to brag. He used to brag about how he raised his children. And there's a quote from him. He, he once said, where'd that quote go? I cheat my boys every chance I get. I want to keep them sharp. So he used to just lie to his children all the time, cheat them, rip them off, <laughs> fool them and deceive them. What a great guy, right? So they, they had a, that was their, their, uh, their childhood. And he abandoned his family, left his kids behind when they were teenagers, made a new fake identity, married again. So it's just a fraud, right? Set up franchises all over. Total fraud. Total <laughs> and complete and utter fraud. So Big Bill, Big Bill actually loaned his son $1,000 at 10% interest to start his fruit business. <laughs> He's a kid. So John D. Rockefeller Sr. started business very young. And his father loaned him at 10% at interest. That's pretty high interest, isn't it? It's pretty crazy. All right, so anyway, Standard Oil started by two of his sons. There's fantastic, incredible history behind Standard Oil. Rockefeller. We're just we're just breaching the surface here. We're just breaching the surface here, and then we are going to be going deeper in the second half. We're trying to get to the uh, the ideological underpinnings of the organization, the Rockefeller Foundation. So, just a brief overview of the history of the Rockefeller family. This is, of course, not everything. There are other business partners involved, right? There are other business partners involved. Dangerfield Henry in the chat mentioned Henry Flagler. Henry Flagler. No, we're not getting too deep into the Rockefeller family right now, but just a basic overview, right? Standard Oil basically monopolized the oil industry. Standard Oil started by the two Rockefeller boys, two of the three Rockefeller boys. Monopolized transport, refinery, production of oil. They were the largest oil refiner in the world at one point, and they're actually one of the first multinational corporations. The first multinational corporation was Standard Oil. Not the first, but one of the first. One of the first. And so they practiced first horizontal integration and then vertical integration, right? Integration of every single part of the supply chain into their business model. You see the same model adapted by the modern extensions of the Rockefeller Standard Oil monopolists. You see this with Monsanto, Right, Bayer, Monsanto, you see this with pharmaceutical companies, you see this with big ag. The idea of vertical integration, right, replicated later on by these huge transnational corporations. If you want to learn a little bit about the vertical integration of the supply chain for your food, we might have to do another dive just on this book, but it's Seeds of Destruction by F. William Engdahl. Seeds of Destruction, The Hidden Agenda of Genetic Manipulation. We're going to be pulling from this source as well today, as well as Lily E.K.'s book, because this is crucial for understanding the monopolization of your food supply, right? The genetic modification revolution, the gene revolution that was extension of the, uh, the, the extension of the green revolution, which was actually the big money that started out the modern 
fake environmental movement that we see now. And so this fake environmentalism that we see today had its underpinnings, had its foundation set up by the Rockefeller Foundation, who don't care about the environment. We care about power. All right, so from 1870 to 1911, Standard Oil was massive. In 1911, they got broken up by the Supreme Court. They were ruled to be an illegal monopoly. They had terrible business practices. They were ruthless. Right? Standard Oil would buy out their competition, sabotage their competition, threaten their competition, set up secret deals with transporters, secret hidden railroad, wait, uh, railroad rates. The Sherman Antitrust Act in 1911 was used to bust up the Standard Oil monopoly, but guess what? They found a way around that. The foundation, the philanthropy, was a way around this monopoly law. And so these monopoly busters, they busted up Standard Oil, but Standard Oil already was broken up into a bunch of smaller corporations, a bunch of smaller companies, a lot of front companies that they would hide behind. And this was part of the attack on, uh, part of the prosecution of Standard Oil back in 1911 under the Sherman Antitrust Act. But what they ended up doing was Standard Oil broke up into about, how many companies was it? I think it was like 34, 37 companies. And those companies, including Mobile, it was Exxon, Chevron, are all still around today. These are the companies that run the petroleum industry. These are the companies that run energy production. These are the companies that run essentially every aspect of the economy now. So another one of these things that the Standard Oil Trust, the Standard Oil Monopoly, which I forgot to mention, they ended up creating a trust. Right? They created a trust which was run by a small group of families. It was a cartel. They would combine many companies under the trustees' ownership, which was the Standard Oil Trust. And part of their economic model was marketing their waste materials. Now, this is a huge issue. Marketing waste materials. Right, so instead of dumping petroleum waste in rivers, which a lot of other companies would do, they would sell things like tar, paint, chewing gum, personal care products, food, and eventually medicine. So a lot of the foods you see today, a lot of the pesticides you see today, these are industrial waste products. These are industrial waste products that are actually from the oil industry. This model of marketing the waste was huge for the Rockefellers, and they gave them a, a way to, uh, to diversify income, right? Synthetic beeswax for candles. What are, those, what are the candles called, the petroleum-based candles? Paraffin? Yeah. So most of the candles you see today are made with carcinogenic materials. This was an idea that was uh, pushed by the Rockefeller Foundation, replacing beeswax, replacing natural, locally-made resources with mass-produced junk, right? Just like the food. This mass-produced junk was a replacement. And so eventually medicine became a monopoly that they were involved in as well, monopolizing allopathic medicine, leveraging heavy influence through the World Health Organization. Another publication we're going to be looking at today is by Jay Lydon from the Center on Global Health Security, Chatham House. Yeah, the UK, the Chatham House, World Institute of International Affairs. This publication is called The World Health Organization and Global Health Governance Post-1990. And then there's another 
one here called Backstage. This is A.E. Byrne from the Center for Critical Development Studies at the Dalatlana School of Public Health, University of Toronto. This publication is called Backstage, the Relationship Between the Rockefeller Foundation and the World Health Organization, Part 1, 1940s through the 1960s. Right, we'll be pulling a little bit from those in this stream, and then in a couple future streams too, because we're going to have to probably break this up. There's a wealth of information here that we're going to be going through, especially in Lily E.K.'s book. Lily E.K.'s book is incredible. We've got a tip over here. Cookies and Badger Wise. What's up, guys? Badger Wise, Cookies, ELC. ELC tipping a $5 over there. Badger Wise, what's up, man? Thank you very much, ELC. ELC says, pour one out for James Corbett's YouTube. Oh, James Corbett's YouTube's gone. Corbett did a great video. He did a great uh, documentary, like, uh, how big oil conquered the world. You want a background on what big oil Rockefeller interests have been doing for the last 100 years. Great documentary made by Corbett several years ago. Yeah, his, his YouTube's gone. He got, he got toasted. Who knows how long we'll be on YouTube. This is why we're sending you guys over to Rockfin. You guys watching on YouTube now where you're not given any notifications, where you're going to be automatically removed from subscribing from this channel over and over again. All right, make sure to go over to Rockfin. Support us over on Rockfin. Watch us uncensored second half on Rockfin. That's what's up. All right, so we got <clears throat> all right, marketing waste, transnational corporation monopolizing every single aspect of the economic interests that they had that they could right monopoly was what it was about through strong arming through the destruction of their competition through buying out their competition through sabotaging their competition it was savage right standard oil used the tactics that were given to little buddy this lovely young man uh john d rockefeller senior his father, Devil Bill, nicknamed Devil Bill Rockefeller, the con artist and snake oil salesman. He was instrumental, obviously, in the formation of his son's personality, of his son's view of the world, of his son's view of his own place in the world. All right, so in 1911, they were broken up. They'd already had a really huge international trade. They were already in China, right? In the 1890s, they started breaking into China. You see the same thing happen later on. Chase Manhattan Bank, established in China by David Rockefeller, the what would be the grandson of John D. Rockefeller Sr. Here, David Rockefeller, the son of John D. Rockefeller Jr., who helped to set up the Rockefeller Foundation. David Rockefeller became a senator. David Rockefeller was a banker. He was very involved in international intrigue. He was very involved in the idea of depopulation, obsessed with the Malthusian ethos and belief that there are too many people on the planet, that all the problems in the world are due to social control issues. We're going to get into that a little bit more in a minute. We're going to get into that a lot. That's actually one of the main important points here is the worldview that drives these people, the worldview that holds that all the problems that we see all the problems that we see in the world are issues of behavior control and through behavior modification and through control of the organism, through ultimately controlling the most minuscule and minute parts of reality, what they called molecular biology, psychobiology, how these were all ideas that were promoted, funded, 
disseminated through academia, through mass media, by the Rockefeller Foundation. Yeah, so uh, China was a big place of trade during the 1890s. Meifu was the uh, standard oil company over there in China. They were encouraging the Chinese to switch over from their vegetable oils that they would use for uh, you know, the, the cooking purposes. Uh, not cooking, but like uh, you know, burning in lamps, um, vegetable oils, wax, stuff like this. They wanted this to be replaced by, of course, their cheap industrial waste products that they had left over from oil refinery. And they convinced the Chinese to a great extent to move from vegetable oil to kerosene. Right, from burning vegetable oil to burning kerosene. They moved into the Middle East under Mobile. Yeah, Mobile. Huge company now still. Explored Palestine before World War I. They actually had a lot of resistance to their oil exploration in Palestine. A lot of political resistance. Of course, that all went away when uh, after the Balfour Declaration. The Rockefellers' buddies over there in Europe... When uh, Lord Rothschild was sent a uh, sent the Balfour Declaration, and um, you know this, this this all changed greatly, and we saw a big shift in Middle Eastern policy. But they were met with resistance over there in their explorations of Palestine before World War One. So the company that thrived on bullying tactics, destroying competition, backroom deals sound familiar, right? Just like the WHO is directed today through. Interests that are associated with the Rockefeller Foundation, you know, Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, using the same exact model, having an ideological overlap, same exact ideology driving Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation as drives the Rockefeller Foundation. We see the same tactics used today. Right? History tends to repeat itself. All right, so their biggest output was kerosene by 1904. Standard Oil controlled over 90% of the production of oil. That ended up decreasing in the subsequent years before they were broken up. They had some competition. Some of the competition may have been set up by them as well. The economic interests were vast, sweeping, deceptive. And the Rockefeller Foundation was set up in order to obscure and hide this. So after they were busted up by the Sherman Antitrust Act, 1913, we saw the formation of the Rockefeller Foundation by John D. Rockefeller Sr., this beautiful man you see here, and his son, J.D. Jr. And they rebranded John D. Rockefeller Sr. as a philanthropist. As a philanthropist. He forgot, a f he, he left his old identity behind, much like his father. Rebranded himself as a philanthropist, right? Saw so Bill Gates do the same exact thing. All right, so they're a very strange family and there are a lot of weird little things that happened to them, right? The, first of all, the father being a liar, con artist, bigamist, right? The sons of him were involved in some weird stuff as well. His grandsons involved in some weird stuff. It was crazy. John D. Rockefeller Sr., his biography was written it was almost written, rather, by Winston Churchill. Isn't that weird? All these technocrats tend to have some overlap. Winston Churchill was best friends with... Uh, his best friend was uh, Lord Birkenhead. Lord of Birkenhead. He almost wrote it. He wanted a $250,000 advance. And one of the uh, grandsons, Nelson Rockefeller's fifth son in 1961, was uh, very likely eaten by cannibals. He went to New Guinea. He went to New Guinea to, to study... To study the New Guineans. Is that what you call them? New Guineans? <laughs> and so, and he, was, uh, he was never found. 
His boat overturned, tried to swim to shore to get help. And uh, it's, it's thought that he was actually eaten by cannibals. And so then the early wealth that their family accrued also had, they had connections with the Vanderbilts. Uh, you see prominent Vanderbilts out there still today. Anderson Cooper Vanderbilt over on CNN. All right, Vanderbilt had the rights to ship Rockefeller's oil on their trains for a lower price. So again, you see this collusion between the elite. You see the collusion between um, the banking interests and the, uh, the, the Anglo-American elite to create these monopolies. So you wouldn't have had standard oil if it weren't for Vanderbilt and their discounts and their backroom dealings that they had with standard oil. Yeah, so the weird messed up family. You had Winifred Rockefeller, 1951, and uh, she had she actually committed double murder suicide. Now, I don't know if this is who knows what really happened, but in 1951, she uh, in her garage put her 12 year old and six year old in one car, and then laid on the ground nearby. Started both cars. The story goes, and all three of them died. Horrible story. Terrible. Right, not outside the realm of possibility that she would do something like this. Now, could this have been something else? Could this have been a hit? We can only speculate. But yeah, double murder, suicide of her daughters. Horrible thing. So anyways, they supported prohibition back in the day. They were involved in a lot, in a lot of weird things. So when, they, uh, when you saw the rebranding of J.D. Rockefeller as a philanthropist, sound familiar? Rebranded as a philanthropist, they basically created this shell game for their global corporate monopoly banking interests called the Rockefeller Foundation. This is a shell game used to hide generational wealth and influence, intense influence over politics, over banking, and over the economy. A huge interest. They rebranded him as a philanthropist. The Rockefeller Foundation then started investing heavily in the sciences, in education, in medicine, in agriculture, in chemical production, eventually biotech, big pharma. And most importantly, everything they did was done under the banner of social engineering and what came to be called human engineering. Human engineering, right? So huge influence that they wielded in universities such as Caltech, Harvard, Johns Hopkins. Mm -hmm. You got big influence. Big influence there from the Rockefeller Foundation and all of these philanthropic endeavors <laughs> of social engineering, their own economic interests, right? So they call it philanthropy. They call it philanthropy, but it just happens to be tied in with all of their... Uh, all of their economic interests. Runaway Train says maybe because they named her Winifred. Yeah, yeah, I guess that might, that might have been it. I haven't read her. I don't know if she wrote a note. Don't know if she wrote a note. <laughs> yeah, Winifred killed herself. One of Nelson's sons, eaten by cannibals. I mean, they're, they're obviously coming from a screwed up family line, right? I mean, there's nothing wholesome about the history of the Rockefellers. Nothing wholesome about the history of the Rockefeller Foundation, but the marketing of the Rockefellers and the Rockefeller Foundation. Just like the marketing for Bill Gates, which is completely, completely steered mass media's narrative for a while, is, um, is that of 
this guy was just so good. He was just such a nice man. He was just so nice and he just wanted to help people. And he just gave away all his money because he, he didn't know what to do with all that money. So he just gave it away. All right, so now the Rockefeller Foundation is still here. Their president is Raj Shah. All right, they have a, uh, they have a, a very diverse board now. But guess what? They're all obsessed with the same things. Obsessed with overpopulation. Obsessed with control over food and medicine. Right? When you see the combining of Bayer and Monsanto representing this huge global megacorporation monopoly over food and medicine, the Rockefeller Foundation still plays a huge role in directing international policy and health and directing international policy through the World Health Organization. And when you see what Bill Gates' philanthropy is all about, he just happens to be doing exactly what the Rockefeller Foundation has been doing since 1913. So here's a little clip from our, uh, our buddies over here at the Rockefeller Foundation. This is from just a few weeks ago. A multitude of ways to bring opportunity to all. Yeah, opportunity to all. So well-being. The idea of well-being that the World Economic Forum is talking about for the new economic model. The sharing economy. Right, the sharing economy, the circular economy, these are ideas that come through organizations like the Rockefeller Foundation. Let's check out the... Uh... That. Doesn't that just soothe you? Recovery is opportunity. Only by vaccinating the whole of the developing world can the U.S. and other advanced econo economies truly assure rather a truly global sustained recovery that will benefit all that's the only way only way out of this we need a medicine monopoly says dr rajiv shah the president of the rockefeller foundation so idea is clean power opportunity is power right and what do they show you a bunch of uh solar panels made in china and right, so it's about economic development social development you see the same themes here in the Rockefeller Foundation's little cheap, corny advertisement. Making opportunity universal. Universal opportunity. We just need to make opportunity universal. Okay, they do little roundtable videos and whatnot. Nobody watches these videos, right? Two months ago, the video has 63 views. Nobody, nobody actually watches these. But they yield massive influence through all the businesses that they've invested in over the years. Rockefeller Foundation had the infamous 2010 document, which we're going to get into this in the second half. Once we're off of YouTube, we're going to be going over live on Rockfin only. And we're going to be talking about the influence of the Rockefeller Foundation in, this, in uh, today's modern crisis. Right? The new crisis of the age, the new world war. Right, but first, we're going to talk about how they really solidified their power during the First World War and the Second World War through public-private partnerships. Everybody's favorite term there. Public-private partnerships. Where do we go? We're going to be pulling a little bit now. We're going to be reading a little bit of a few passages from Lily E.K.'s book, The Molecular Vision of Life, Caltech, The Rockefeller Foundation, and The Rise of the New Biology. The Molecular Vision of Life. 
highly recommend you get a copy of this book. It's very overpriced now. You might be able to find a PDF of it. And of course, a lot of these important works, once people start talking about them, they become almost impossible to find, become nearly impossible to find. Just like this channel on YouTube, nearly impossible to find. <laughs> Just like this channel on YouTube, nearly impossible to find. Just like some support from the YouTube audience. Where's that support? What's up? What's up, bigots? You guys like the stream? We've had like two streams with like zero support. Please don't take these streams for granted. We know some of you like it. We get some supporters that come through every once in a while. Streamlabs link is right there. Thank you guys who do support over on Rockfin. Had a couple tips up there. Rockfin, you guys on YouTube, second half of this is going to be exclusive to Rockfin. The link for the Rockfin is pinned in the chat right now. And then there's also in the, uh, in the description, you can get that link for the Rockfin. Exclusive Rockfin only on the second half. Okay, so the Rockefeller Foundation... John D. Rockefeller Sr., as you see right here, lovely looking guy. Lily E.K. discusses the rise of what's called the new biology. And there's a quote from her. The Rockefeller Foundation served as the principal patron of molecular biology from the 1930s to the 50s. Caltech, the primary site of implementing the foundation's project, became the most influential international center for research and training in molecular biology. And so the molecular biology became what the Rockefeller Foundation coined to be the new science of man. This would integrate the ideas of the necessity for social control over the human organism in order to bring about a global utopia. Now, Lily E.K. is not a crazy conspiracy theorist. She is not a nutcase. She is a really respected, was a respected academic. She passed away. She's dead now. She was a respected academic. This is published through MIT and Oxford Press. And so the new biology, the term, the new biology, right? The new normal in the sciences was coined in 1938 by Warren Weaver. He was the director of the Rockefeller Foundation's Natural Science Division. The term was intended to capture the essence of the foundation's program, its emphasis on the ultimate minuteness of biological entities, end quote. Okay, the ultimate minuteness of biological entities going down to the lowest, smallest level, the smallest unit in order to find the basic control mechanism, the keys of life. Right? The control mechanisms, the proteins, the genes that they believe would be determining behaviors, that they believe would be determining life, determining the, uh, the forms and the way that these forms manifest. Okay, molecular, here's another quote. Molecular biology was based on the protein paradigm, the premise that the salient features of life, reproduction, growth, neural function, immunity, could be explained through the structures and functions of proteins. In fact, guided by the protein paradigm, research on antibodies occupied a key position within the new biology. This important chapter, however, has been written out of the history of molecular biology. Why do you think that is? Now, the cognitive focus on the molecular level also shaped the social structure of research. It's a quote, molecular biology studies thus entailed structural changes in the organization of departments and laboratories and the, pri and the prizing of cooperation as an institutional strategy and a personal ethos. So the idea of interinstitutional, interdisciplinary cooperation between the social sciences, the physical sciences, the biological sciences, and what they called the human sciences, which was sociology, 
which the Rockefeller Foundation championed and helped to bring in a prominence in the university system, was one of the main drivers through which the Rockefeller Foundation created a cultural hegemony, a cultural domination of the paradigm of both modern medicine, of mass media, and a homogenization of culture in general right, through the social sciences. And when you look at documents such as the President's Annual, I'm sorry, the President's Review and Annual Report from 1988 from the Rockefeller Foundation, you'll find that it looks very similar in <laughs> structure to the President's Five-Year Review and Annual Report in 1968. And what are they focused on? They're focused on population control issues. They're focused on population control issues. They're highly interested in social control issues and culture creation. Culture creation. So there's some great quotes in her book, in Lily E.K.'s book, The Molecular Vision of Life, where she discusses the pivot from the eugenics movement to the idea of the new science of man. Right? The social sciences becoming the vehicle for the same end goals as the early eugenicists. Woo, Tommy Webb. Tommy Webb has become, he's become the top bigot of the stream. Tommy Webb donated 25 bucks. Says, love your and Jay Dyer's work. I watched some of your farming vids. You and your family are so awesome. Thank you, Tommy Webb. I appreciate that, man. Did I, I feel like I saw you on Instagram at some point today. But anyways, man, I appreciate the, uh, the, the support there through Streamlabs. You guys watching on YouTube? Streamlabs is pulled up. There are no super chats. You cannot send a super chat through YouTube, which is a good thing because YouTube takes 30 freaking percent of those super chats. If you want your questions or comments read, or if you just want to support the stream, which we, we do ask you for your support. We get no support from Mr. Uh, John D. Rockefeller here. We don't get support from uh, the Open Society Foundation, Bill Gates Foundation. We're 100% supported by you guys. So if you guys like these streams, please support the streams. If you guys like these, the Streamlabs link is right there. Cookies over there tipping. What's up, Cookies? Cookies and Badger Wise. Thank you, guys. Thank you, guys. What's going on? Let's, uh, let me, uh, Badger Wise will read your tips a little bit later. Badger Wise got some involved deep tips over there. Cookies, what's up, man? We'll talk about that a little bit later, too. Asking about some health and fitness books. Thank you very much for those tips, man. Um, so yeah, he's asking for some uh, books related to health and fitness. I would say if you want a book that's overarching, important anthropological work on diet and health, not necessarily fitness, but it does tie in with that as well, uh, Nutrition and Physical Degeneration by Dr. Weston A. Price. Check that book out, Cookies. And thank you, Badger Wise. We'll, we'll read that one later when we're on, U on Rockfin Exclusive, all right? Go over there on Rockfin Exclusive or Cookies, other one. You guys over on YouTube... Second half of this Rockfin exclusive where we can go deep, where we don't have to hide anything. <laughs> we, don't have to, uh, we, don't, we don't have to avoid certain words that YouTube will make us avoid. Second half is going to be Rockfin exclusive. And thank you guys for supporting Tommy Webb. Polygon sent five bucks over there via Streamlabs. Thank you so much, Polygon. We got, we got a few people who appreciate the stream over there on YouTube. Thanks for your support, guys. We've got a bunch of people supporting on Rockfin. That's why we're moving over there to Rockfin because, hey, you know what? YouTube's probably going to kick us off soon anyways. Who knows? All right, so the Rockefeller Foundation driving mm -hmm. the creation of culture, driving the creation of the culture of the modern university system, the interdisciplinary approach to study being funded from the top down, right, with 
compartmentalization and then also at certain levels with uh, integration and cooperation between these different studies. Right, so the Rockefeller Foundation between 1932 and 1959 poured about 25 million bucks into the molecular biology programs in the United States. It was more than one-fourth of the foundation's total spending in the biological sciences outside of medicine, outside of medicine, which they were involved in as well. The Rockefeller Foundation in 1918 ran a program of inoculation for meningitis. This is crazy. All right, we're going we're to talk about this just on Rockfin later, though, um, because it's also it's debatable what the results of this were. But it's not debatable the timing of these 1980s, uh, these 1918 rather, <laughs> um, these 1918 inoculation campaigns. So they were very effective at funding and reorganizing the biological sciences under the standard of cooperation and top-down funding, right? Top-down funding of scientists in both the physical and the social sciences. Okay, there were some principal architects that you can look deeper into if you want to get deeper into some of this research. Uh, Max Mason and Warren Weaver. Right? These were some of the principal architects of the new biology. They were very influential in the culture of the 1920s. Rockefeller Foundation's new idea of what they called the science of man agenda Here's a quote, thereby viewing the program as both a scientific and cultural enterprise. The motivation behind the enormous investment in the new agenda was to develop the human sciences as a comprehensive, explanatory, and applied framework of social control grounded in the natural, medical, and social sciences. Conceived during the late 1920s, the new agenda was articulated in terms of the contemporary technocratic discourse on human engineering aimed towards the end point of restructuring human relations in congruence with the social framework of industrial capitalism. The support for life science must be seen within that larger investment in the human sciences. Within that agenda, the new biology, which was originally named psychobiology. Does that ring a bell? Anybody who's looked into the MKUltra experiments, Jose Delgado, the psychosocial control of society, psychobiology. Yeah. Continue with the quote, the, uh, the new biology originally named psychobiology was erected on the bedrock of the physical sciences in order to rigorously explain the event and eventually control the fundamental mechanisms governing human behavior, placing a particularly strong emphasis on heredity. All right, so there's the, the eugenics idea of heredity, the eugenics idea of social control, eugenics idea of creating a systemic way of classifying, tracking, and tracing human behavior and influencing it. Okay, so of course, you're going to see this and we're going to probably in, in, a, in, the, uh, in a future episode, we're going to be getting a lot deeper into how this whole technocratic idea of uh, mass behavior modification through cybernetics is an extension of the research funded by the Rockefeller Foundation, an extension of the big money that was pumped all the way down from the Rockefeller Foundation through these, uh, these universities in order to create human experimentation, in order to bring about the internet ultimately. ARPANET, DARPANET, Rockefeller Foundation really tied in with 
the military industrial complex as well. Okay, so this particularly strong emphasis placed on heredity. It's a quote from Lily E. K.'s book again. Okay, the eugenics started to become a scientific liability and a political liability. Right, but they had this quote conjunction of cognitive and social goals that had a strong historical connection to eugenics, to its promise and perils. The Rockefeller Foundation had supported a number of eugenically directed projects at the time of the inauguration of the new science of man. However, the goal of social control through selective breeding had suffered severe setbacks. Oopsie. So some of these guys like Davenport started to get demonized. Later you had the Nazi eugenics programs, which completely discredited eugenics in the eyes of most of the masses globally. And it was overlooked that the West actually influenced the Nazi eugenics programs immensely. And so the West was instrumental in bringing about the Nazi eugenics program. Okay, the Nazi eugenics program wouldn't have been able to be implemented. The uh, tracking and tracing systems <laughs> of today, which IBM, Microsoft are laying out, they actually have their origins long back through Thomas Watson of IBM. Thomas Watson actually ended up becoming, he was rather, involved with the Rockefeller Foundation. What do you know? Thomas Watson, was he, I'm going to get the fact correctly here. Thomas Watson, Thomas J. Watson, was the director. I got to get this right. I got to get this right. Where'd it go? I got so much information all over the place. I got on my desk here a bunch of papers and books. I've got a bunch pulled up here. Okay. Anyways, Thomas Watson connected through the Rockefeller Foundation. Thomas Watson running IBM set up the uh, tattooing and tracking system that the Germans would use throughout the Second World War. And you even have uh, you even have this admitted by New York Times, IBM and the Holocaust, the strategic alliance between Nazi Germany and America's most powerful corporation. They reviewed that book way back in the day. IBM was instrumental in the Third Reich. Third Reich wouldn't exist if it weren't for IBM. In fact, Third Reich wouldn't exist if the Rockefellers and Rockefeller wasn't helping to fund IG Farben and send supplies and fuel to IG Farben. Okay, so the West, while going to war with Germany, actually funded and created the new industry and the experiment of Germany. The eugenicists funded. The eugenicists out of the West helped to fund and set up the Nazi eugenics program, just like Western banking helped to set up and bankroll the Bolshevik Revolution. Right? This is why guys like Schiff, Schiff was considered a proletariat. He was not considered a, uh, a bourgeoisie, the banker Schiff. He was a, a prole. He was one of the people, right, in the, in the Bolshevik Revolution. People actually bought this stuff, though. People bought into it. Anyways, the idea of human engineering through, quote, controlled breeding remained a compelling 
social vision. One of the sub-arguments of this book, of Lily Kay's book, is that eugenics goals played a significant role in the conception and design of the molecular biology program, an argument that hinges on the politics of meaning. All right, so what she postulates here is that they simply shifted, they simply shifted the language and rebranded eugenics as they uh, shifted into the, uh, the new science of man, as they called it. All right, so you had guys like Raymond Fosdick. Raymond Fosdick. Here's a quote from Raymond Fosdick. Great name, by the way, Raymond. Raymond Fosdick says, uh, Remember, we are not in a hurry. He was the uh, trustee and later president of the Rockefeller Foundation. He says, There is no royal road to the millennium. No shortcut to the promised land. So the idea of long-term goals, the idea of long-term social engineering, the idea of the millennium, right? This, uh, this uh, strange Protestant idea of the thousand-year millennium, just like the thousand-year Reich. Yeah? Uh, these people wanted to bring about a new global order, thousand years of peace, using social planning. Okay, so this, the, another quote here from Lily K. The corporate structure of the philanthropic enterprise mirrored the structure of the business corporation. That's because they're the one and the same, right? Just like with the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, Gavi. We'll get a little bit more into that stuff later. Just like these foundations, the Rockefeller Foundation today, they do the same thing. It is all about the corporate interest. It's about the big money interest. It's not about philanthropy. It's about control. It's about control. Now we got a couple. We got a couple super chats over here. Rather, we got some tips, not super chats. Thank you guys for tipping over there, over there on Rockfin. Look at that. There's less people watching on Rockfin, but they they support more on Rockfin. There we go. Second half. Remember, guys. Second half is Rockfin exclusive. See from the east. Tip five bucks. Says, hey Tristan, thanks for all the uh, all the content recently. The Rockfin premium is awesome. One question. Any advice on on how to learn Spanish better? Mm -hmm. Keep rocking on Rockfin, bigot. Uh, learning Spanish better, I would say, I mean, listen to some lectures. Listen to lectures on things that interest you, right? Like if you're interested in uh, regenerative agriculture and, and regenerative grazing or, you know, the growing, um, what, whatever it is, right? Uh, you know, perennial grasses. Look at lectures, look at YouTube videos, watch some lectures. Um, get a couple of textbooks, right? Just having some like Spanish dictionaries and textbooks and conjugations are crucial, I still I suck at conjugations, I, but I can get by in conversational Spanish. And then just immerse yourself, right? Go 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 somewhere where Spanish is spoken, and uh, just go go start doing it. Immersion—that's what I'm all about. Mick Ale, tip ten, and thank you very much, Steve from the East. I'm, I'm glad you enjoyed the content that you signed up for the premium account on Rockfin. You remember, if you guys are listening to this later on on YouTube, it's live on Rockfin now. Second half of this is Rockfin exclusive. You come over to Rockfin, you watch this during the live stream for free. All you got to do is make a free account. All you need is an email address to make a free account over there on Rockfin. But if you want the premium exclusive content, upgrade to a premium account, upgrade to a subscription on the, on the, uh, through the, uh, the channel here. After you already follow it, you upgrade to a premium subscription and you can get the premium content. This second half, the second half of this lecture is going to be going on premium as soon as this is done streaming live. Right, So you can watch it live for free, but if you're watching on the replay, it's going to be premium. All right, so here we go. Rockefeller, their philanthropy, of course, all aimed at, to quote, restructure human relations and develop social technologies commensurate with the material and ideological imperatives of industrial capitalism. 
right? To create a base of workers that could be influenced through their control mechanisms of what they called psychobiology, right? Psychology and behaviorism applied to the masses to create a taxable work base. This is why the public-private partnerships come into play. This is why government collusion with the Rockefellers was so strong because there were big government interests. Of course, you know, these huge corporations, big banking interests, they run the governments as well. I mean, this is obvious to anybody who studied history. You cannot look at geopolitics. You cannot look at uh, government intrigue. You cannot look at real deep politics without considering the interests of banking, the global mega corporations, and of course, the NGOs, the foundations. The foundations are the missing link for a lot of people. A lot of people don't talk about the banks and the, uh, and the huge global corporations, but these NGOs are sneaky and highly influential. Okay, it's about men, managerial elite addressing what they consider to be the root cause of all problems, which is social dysfunction, right? Behaviorism. So within that framework, there's a quote from Louis K. Power includes intellectual, cultural, political, and economic power. Different types of power, right? Cultural power, economic power, political power, and intellectual power. All of these are under the umbrella of social engineering and of what they call the new science of man. Within this theoretical framework, there's another quote from Louis K. Within this theoretical framework, it does not matter that many scientists funded through the Rockefeller Foundation's molecular biology program were unaware of their social function within the science of man agenda. As we shall see, the leaders of American life science, many of them acting as scientific advisors to the foundation, did understand the larger picture. But even they did not always share all the goals of their patrons. The rise of the new biology was a process of consensus building among interdependent, though not identical, professional constituencies with common as well as separate goals. Okay, so this is the idea again of compartmentalization, right? Intelligence agencies use the same idea. The left hand doesn't know what the right hand is doing. Scientists at the ground level, they're just trying to get funding. They're just trying to justify themselves and keep their tenure. They're trying to justify their jobs. University professors are just trying to keep their jobs and of course, they're trying to get grants. How do they get grants? They propose science and research to these foundations who will then fund their research with grants if it fits into their goals, which are this global hegemony of social engineering and the new science of man. Okay, so you don't get funded as an academic unless you play ball with the Rockefeller Foundation. You don't get funded as an academic unless you do what Monsanto wants you to do, unless you do what Pfizer, what Moderna, what Bayer want you to do. You do not get funded. You guys sick of looking at that old slimy John D. Rockefeller? Let's see, I have a different image to pull up. What else we got here? Okay, so the World Economic Forum, you see them with the same ideas. The World Economic Forum creating a cartel of international business interests to create the new normal, right? Now, you have the new science of man of the Rockefeller Foundation beginning in the 1930s, 1920s, and even before then. 
you know, huge economic mobility, private-public partnerships that happened during World War I and then World War II. You also had the 1918 flu, which we'll, we'll talk about that on the Rockfin exclusive. There is a connection there as well, a strange, dubious, ominous, and mysterious connection. You know, see, World Economic Forum using the same model as the Rockefeller Foundation, except these are ideological elites openly planning the global technocracy, which involves economic changes, behaviorism, social credit system, and of course, biological control of human organism through what Bertrand Russell called, remember Bertrand Russell said through diet injection, injections and injunctions, the state government can create the type of character and social engineer, the type of character that they want, right? Through the quote is, through diet injections and injunctions, end quote from Bertrand Russell. And so the scientific elite, the Anglo-American elite, Anglo-American establishment, obsessed with social control. Obsessed with these ideas of international development, of using technology and technocracy to control the behavior of man, to control the movement of man, to control everything about man, down from the most minute, smallest level and to the macro level of social engineering and control. <laughs> now we got a couple of super chats over here. What's up? Maddie, Maddie Dakakuda Brown donated 10 bucks through Streamlabs. Thanks, man. He says, I recently heard that the World Wildlife Fund is another Rockefeller scam. Do you know anything about this? Haven't been able to catch a stream for a while. Hope you and your family are well. Thank you, Maddie. Yeah, the World Wildlife Fund was started in part by Julian Huxley. The World Wildlife Fund is another one of these organizations, a prime example, thank you for bringing it up, of the pivot of the eugenics organizations, right? The pivot of the eugenics organizations into social control and environmentalism, right? Environmentalism is directed by these big foundations. The World Wildlife Fund has been implicated in genocides, in the mass displacement of indigenous people, and so many scams. There's basically a giant UN land grab scam. Right, run uh, began by Julian Huxley, who was an open eugenicist. So they do have connections to the Rockefeller Foundation. Now, how much the Rockefeller Foundation is invested in the works of the World Wildlife Fund, I'm not sure. I'm not sure exactly the funding uh, breakdown, but when you look at like their 1968 annual report and their 1988 annual report, there are no mentions of that specific organization. Right? So we're going to look at these documents as well, their annual reviews and reports from 68 and 88, the Rockefeller Foundation accidentally put those online a few years ago, and then they took them down. But some people have them still. <laughs> so yeah, thank you very much. Maddie. I appreciate that. I'm glad you enjoyed the streams. Sotiri donated, look at that. Sotiri, the top bigot. Top bigot is Sotiri. Sotiri, that's a new name popping up. Thank you very much for the support. Seriously, guys, you guys who support the streams, we thank you guys, and I'm sure a lot of the people in the audience thank you guys as well because you guys keep these streams alive. You guys keep it worth it to come on here, jibber-jabber, do these lectures, and then do our fun, goofy-ass streams as well. And we appreciate the support. These don't happen without your support. 
So thank you guys on Rockfin. Thank you guys on YouTube. We're supporting. You guys are on YouTube. Jump over there. Pull up a tab on Rockfin. We're going to be live exclusively on Rockfin in about 20 minutes. We're going to finish up here, and then we're going to transition into the uh, uh, the, the deeper more in-depth and nefarious activities the Rockefeller Foundation doing today or doing right now. All right, so we're starting out. The first block of this is a little history lesson talking about the history of the Rockefeller Foundation's transition into control of biology, why they were so obsessed with controlling the uh, university-level discourse in the sciences, the uh, term molecular biology, psychobiology, as social control mechanisms, as essentially an extension of the same interests the extension of the same ideology and worldview that funded the eugenics movement, right? Then they pivoted into the biological sciences, ultimately pivoted into the um, uh, fake philanthropy, fake environmentalism. And then the second half, which is Rockfin exclusive, we're going deep into what they're doing now, right? We've got the 2010 Scenarios for Future Technology and International Development white paper that they published in 2010, which contains the infinite chap uh, infamous chapter on lockstep, we're going to be talking about another document that is little known that we exposed when it came out, National COVID-19 Testing Action Plan, Pragmatic Steps to Reopen Our Workplaces and Our Communities. All right, now, this one is even crazier in a lot of ways than the, than the uh, so-called lockstep document, which I don't know why some people call it Operation Lockstep, like it was some some sort of like military operation. No, it was a tabletop exercise type scenario discussing possibilities for scenarios in the future that would result in the necessity of international development. Aaron Burroughs on Rockfin. What's up, Aaron? Aaron, Aaron Burroughs, a.k.a. Aaron, the big black dude. Tip two bucks over there on Rockfin. Thanks, Aaron. I appreciate that, man. Aaron's always supporting. Regular supporter over there with Aaron. Regular supporter, and a new supporter over here with Satiri. Donated thirty-eight sixty-nine. Thirty-eight sixty-nine. Is that? It must have been in a in a foreign currency, and then it converted it to U.S. dollars. Unless you're doing some weird number, trying to trying to numerology me. So Thierry said, "Hey, my brother in Christ, I work in the hospital as an orderly. I've been asking people if they'll get the Rona jab, and it's so sad the reasons that they give, i.e., travel, trust in science, scared of the pandemic, people so easily manipulated." God bless. It's it's incredible. It's so sad. It's so sad. And you know, we're gonna be talking about the uh we're gonna be talking a little bit more about that in the second half because there's you can't go too much into YouTube about this. But the Rockefeller Foundation is knee deep in this stuff. Rockefeller Foundation, just like the Gates Foundation, hugely influential for the uh the international development and health agendas. So thank you so much, Sotiri. You are the top donor, top bigot, top sponsor so far. I appreciate that. All right. So anyways, Caltech ends up being instrumental in this. Harvard is really pr uh, crucial. And then also uh, another Rockefeller-funded institution, Johns Hopkins. We're going to talk about Johns Hopkins. Event 201, everybody. Johns Hopkins. As well as the SPARS pandemic. Right? The SPARS pandemic. 2025 to 2028, a futuristic scenario for public health risk communications by John Johns Hopkins Center for Health Security. And again, public-private partnerships, military working with universities, DARPA, another one of these uh, agencies that integrates the sciences and universities with the military. Okay, so there... 
here again, Lily E.K. says that while there's compartmentalization in the sciences, these professors, these actual uh, researchers, they don't really understand what they're actually doing. They don't really understand the bigger implications of the work that they're engaged in. But what ends up happening is at the highest levels, at the highest levels, there is agreement. There's substantial agreement at the higher levels of these organizations that direct the funding, that direct the agendas here. But at the lower levels, people are just trying to keep their jobs, right? It's compartmentalization. And you all know about that. Okay, so lots of elite institutions such as the University of, University of Chicago, Caltech, Stanford, Columbia, Harvard, and the University of Wisconsin were receiving huge grants to bring about what was called the new science of man, a.k.a. molecular biology, a.k.a. psychobiology, right? and the integration of all the sciences, human sciences, and, uh, the social sciences, which are not real sciences, the social sciences, and then the biological sciences and the physical sciences, to bring about the, uh, the goals of the foundation, the Rockefeller Foundation. Here's another quote from Lily E.K. The appropriate institutional mechanisms were created from the start in order to encourage a problem-oriented approach to science. Structures that were guided by corporate models of management and inspired by the cooperative projects of World War I. Now, the reason I highlight and circle and underlined all over that quote is because what do we see now? What do we see in this new era? This, the flu d'etat, the, the flu world order. What do we see now? We see a necessity, a perceived necessity of cultural hegemony, a, a perceived necessity of a top-down funded, vertically integrated effort to fight an external enemy, right? Now, the sciences were mobilized in World War I, guided by corporate models of management and then cooperative projects with, with uh, public-private partnerships in World War I to bring about this managerial state of the sciences where the sciences would be leveraged for global warfare purposes. Now we see the Rockefeller Foundation, the World Economic Forum, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, the royal family calling for like a new Marshall Plan. Remember the royal family was saying, we need a new, new Marshall Plan, a new Marshall Plan level, Marshall Plan level mobilization for war against this terrible pandemic. It was Prince Charles, it was Prince Charles who wanted to make, who wanted to make Jimmy Savile the godfather of, of his son. It was Prince Charles said that we need, we need a global, a global mobilization to stop climate change and, and diseases. Yes. Climate change and disease. This idea of mobilizing for a world war, uniting people for a common cause in a problem-oriented approach to science. Right now, the new problem in science is, oh, we have to solve global warming. What is global warming caused by? Oh, there's just too many people, of course. There's just so many human beings. Too many people are, too many people are actually breeding. Yes, we have to stop the people from, from breeding. The nasty human people. Caltech formed the hub of America's scientific establishment at the time. Okay, so in the early, in the 30s, in the 20s, Caltech was instrumental in bringing this about. All right, so then... 
the there was no real questioning of what the basics of life really are, right? No questioning over like what life is, the meaning of life, what is consciousness. It's just clearly, it's just uh, rather um, solely focused on the new science of man is solely focused on behaviorism and engineering of man. So there's a quote, ultimately the resolution of this tension right, between the, uh, because the question never arises is the quote, the question arises whether life is molecular or it is only the vision that is molecular, right? So is, is the basic building block of life really just physical matter? Well, who cares? Let's not even ask that question. <laughs> Let's just skip that. Let's not even ask what is life. We'll just uh, This proved too challenging for philosophers and is deemed unproductive by most practitioners of life science. So the life sciences, they don't even care about like, what is life? Well, let's just learn how to manipulate the stuff that's out there. That's what it's about. Let's not question, should we do this? Right? Should we genetically modify people to bring about a global utopia? Should we intentionally mutate human beings to try to create an ubermensch and a superman? Hmm? Thus, evolutionary biology and addressing the quintessential property of living entities, their ability to evolve, has given primacy to time and environment as principal arbiters of the structures and functions of organisms, species, and populations. So it's about controlling the environment and then controlling at the molecular level, at the smallest level possible. The reductionist model is based on that. It's reductionist in the physical properties and it's reductionist in also the behavioral properties where it's like, let's just believe that we just believe that behaviorism is true and that all that matters is the outcomes of behavior. Yeah. Chad Doolin, Chad Doolin over there, tip five bucks on Rockfin. Thank you, Chad. I appreciate that, man. Thank you, guys. Thank you, guys. Guys, please support the stream if you like it, you got questions, or if you just want to support, feel free to send them tips on Rockfin. If you're watching on YouTube, go over there to Rockfin because in about 20 minutes, we're going to be Rockfin exclusive. Here's the link for the Rockfin. You guys are watching on YouTube. Make a free account. Watch on Rockfin. Pull up a tab right now. Watch it on both. You'll see Rockfin's great quality. All right, so here's a, uh, another quote from Lily E.K. Why then did the Rockefeller Foundation Science of Man agenda privilege a molecular vision of life? The answer to this question is embedded in the matrix that linked the particular forms of social control sought by that agenda with the specific types of control supplied by the new biology. Okay, that's what it comes down to. It comes down to control, right? It comes down to this idea of man is the center of the universe, the assumptions of humanism, which came out of the Protestant Reformation, right? which came out of this post-enlightenment philosophy. Man is the center of the universe. Man's reason is the guiding, organizing principle of the universe. Hey, let's not bother defining reason or questioning where that comes from. Let's just worship it and use it and wield it as a weapon in order to dominate everything around us. The, uh, the Protestant ethos driving the Rockefellers this post-enlightenment philosophy, humanism, and ultimately nihilism are responsible for this. All right, so here's another quote. Greatly influenced by Jacques Loeb's project, 
which had adopted the engineering standpoint towards the control of life. The Rockefeller Foundation officers and their scientific advisors sought to develop a mechanistic biology as the central element of a new science of man whose goal was of social engineering. In the social sciences, the emphasis on controlling human behavior gave rise to mechanistic conceptions of behavior, personality, and socialization. Interventionist strategies were inscribed into these scientific formulations. The life sciences aimed to map the pathways into the molecular labyrinth of the human soma and psyche in order to control biological destiny. A biology governed by faith and technology and in the ultimate power of upward causation is far more amenable to strategies of control than a science of downward causation where elements cannot be fully understood apart from the whole. So rather than a holistic approach to looking at man, we take a reductionist approach to looking at man. We take an, a reductionist approach in, in order to influence a new global economic order based on man at the center of the universe, the ordering power of all life being man's reason. Scientism, right? So scientism is a result of the big foundations pushing it as the new religion. Scientism is the religion of modernity. Scientism is the religion of the Rockefeller Foundation. Scientism is the result of nihilism. Scientism is the result of humanism. The molecular vision of life was an optimal, uh, another quote, the molecular vision of life was an optimal match between the technocratic visions of human engineering and representations of life grounded in technological intervention, a resonance between scientific imagination and social vision. Okay, so this is what we see with the Great Reset. This is what we see with the Great Reset. The Great Reset is not just about a new economic order. The Great Reset is about the extension of man's will in order to dominate and control everything around him. The Great Reset is about technocratic human engineering and bringing about a new utopia. With the World Economic Forum, the UN, all of these are driven by the same ideology of social control, the same assumptions of social control as the way to bring about the millennium, the way to bring about uh, a new economic order, a new order of the ages, a thousand-year Reich, like Hitler said. This is the, all these ideas, right? Communism. Um, uh, these all come from the same root ideology that denies God and that places man and man's reason on the throne of God instead. Okay, so the first chapter of her book, we were just looking at the introduction. Now, the first chapter of her book is called Social Control, Rockefeller Foundation's Agenda in the Human Sciences, 1913 through 33. She does a great job here talking about the influence of the Rockefeller Foundation in the social sciences due to the ideals of the Rockefeller Foundation and the idea of social control a new liberalism that accepted the inevitability of class conflict and the social inequality of capitalism. Does sound familiar? It's the same driving ideology of the World Economic Forum. Oh, we expect a much angrier world. We must, we must, re the fourth industrial revolution will bring about an angrier world. Right? The fourth industrial revolution, this idea of psychosocial control over all of man, 
the MK Ultra experiments, Jose Delgado, remote controlling uh, mammals and bulls and putting uh, microchips in monkeys' heads to control them with remote, with electrical impulses. All this stuff, all this stuff was first pushed by the Rockefeller Foundation. The idea of social control, new liberalism, right? a need to stave off the inevitable class conflict and create a new economic order and a new way of controlling the masses to avoid class conflict right? and bring about the ultimate goals of the big money interests behind industrial capitalism, which are the same ultimate goals of the big money interests behind communism because it's the same big money interests. Now, why do you think Rockefeller went to Mao, went to uh, Communist China, rather, to set up Chase Manhattan Bank and wrote an op-ed in New York Times called On a China Traveler, From a China Traveler, where he praised the Maoist Revolution and said this is a great experiment. Now, David Rockefeller set up Chase Manhattan Bank in China in the 1970s. They see cultures as petri dishes. The Anglo-American establishment, Bertrand Russell openly writes about the Soviet Union, the Communist Revolution, the Soviet Union being on uh, being essentially a uh, just an experiment. So new liberalism, social inequality of capitalism is a problem. We need equality. Yeah, sound familiar? Now you have the, we're going to get a little bit deeper into this new idea of equality with the uh, the coof, right? the coof economic inequality. Oh, we need equality. What does that mean? It means everybody needs to get the happy, healthy medicine injections. Everybody has to get experimental gene therapy drugs. Everybody has to get social credits. Everybody has to move into the smart cities. Everybody has to be equal. What is equality? It means you are totally controlled, that you are totally tracked and traced, and everybody is equally controlled. That's really what it means. The Rockefeller Foundation is so concerned with equality, right, that for uh, since it, the 1930s, they've been harping on about it, you know, writing in their annual reports, President's Five-Year Review and Annual Report, writing on the necessity of bringing about more equality. Yeah, John D. Rockefeller wants equality. David Rockefeller, who wants to decrease the human population, they want so-called equality. You really buy into this? You really buy this? All right, so the idea of social control, the cult of the scientific expert, and scientism, huge, huge part of what the Rockefeller Foundation uh, championed. Right? 1913 to 1933, they were obsessed with pushing the idea of scientism and social control as the new religion. Social, here's a quote. Social control of individual self-interest meant public control of the private sector through the categories private, though the categories private versus public could not always be neatly drawn. Hmm. With the rise of quasi-public entities, such as large business corporations and foundations, the boundary between individual and corporate self-interest, between private and public control, would be increasingly blurred. So monopoly capitalists pushing ideas like a centrally planned economy, right? like government monopolies over health. Does that sound like capitalist to you? I mean, the, 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 the pure free market capitalists are just as cringy as the communists. They'll say, well, it's not real capitalism, bro. Just like the communists, oh, that wasn't real communism. Stalin wasn't a real communist. That wasn't real Marxism. That wasn't real capitalism either. Yeah, because both of these are used in a dialectic to bring about 
social change and some more social control. Big money capitalism, monopoly capitalism ends up funding communism constantly. Why is that? Because they're not opposed to each other. All right, Tate, what's up, Tate? Tate and Chad Doolin, we got some, we got some live chat tips over there in Rockfin. Thank you guys. Thank you guys. Chad Doolin donated five bucks. Tip five bucks is loving it. Grateful. I'm glad you love it. I'm glad you're grateful. Glad some of you guys like it. I'm glad some of you guys support. We appreciate that. We're going to keep doing it. If you guys keep supporting Tate, tip five bucks. Says, cannot wait to get Neuralink. That will track my COVID. Yeah, exactly. It'll help you to be happy too, right? You'd be so happy. You'd be so happy. All right, guys. You guys over there on YouTube, the Streamlabs link is in the description, in the chat. Guys, please support. Please support the streams if you like the streams. Anyways, all right, so social control, the cult of the expert, private-public partnerships. Just like Klaus Schwab pushes, the World Economic Forum pushes, 100 years later, we have the new normal of private-public partnerships being lobbied for by the Rockefeller Foundation during World War I, during World War II. The Rockefeller Foundation was one of the biggest funders of the universities, the university system that resulted in, I mean, shoot, the MKUltra experiments couldn't have happened without the new science of man that the Rockefeller Foundation pushed. You wouldn't have brain chips, DARPA brain chips, you wouldn't have all of these things that you see being pushed now if it weren't for the Rockefeller Foundation and the rise of the new biology. Okay, so the blurring lines between the public and private sectors, again, communism, capitalism, same, two sides of the same coin, both based on materialism, both coming out of post-enlightenment, humanist, dehumanizing, self-refuting philosophy that exalts reason, man's reason, which they can't even define, above everything. What is reason? Whatever I say is reasonable. It actually, it ends up, the, the cult of reason ends up bringing about totalitarian dictatorships and tyrannical, insane, mass murder regimes because it is completely absurd. Right? It ends up justifying might makes right. Which the Protestant Reformation also kind of set up the foundation of that as well. The idea of my own interpretation of reality, my own interpretation of scripture, my own personal popedom is going to, uh, to reorder the world. We're going to recreate and rebuild the church by our own reason. And the Protestant Reformation, which is the result ultimately of the schism, the insane scholasticism of the West, of the Latin church, of the Roman church that broke off from the Orthodox church and created this insane Cicero-papism. That the Protestants saw the problems with that, but then instead of going to Orthodoxy, they decided, no, we're gonna, we'll all be our own popes. Anyways, it's not a, not a theological stream, but you gotta look at the historical roots of all this um, another, I'd say another book you must read. It's behind me somewhere. Another book you guys must read if you're interested in the intellectual, uh, or rather the philosophical 
underpinnings of this. If you're interested in the worldview and the driving ideology that led to this and the history of that, check out Father Seraphim Rose's book, Nihilism. Nihilism, the root of the revolution of the modern age. Check that out. Check that out. He does a really good breakdown of what, there you go, yeah, what Dangerfield and Henry is calling here dialectical materialism. So anyway, sociologists became obsessed with psychosocial processes of social control and what's called socialization, right? Controlling man's environment to bring about behavior changes. Man's environment socially, but then also man's environment internally at the genetic level even, right? Making them spike proteins. You, know, you look at your mRNA, Moderna. You look at these massive monopolies over the medical industry, which is what we're going to talk about here when we go live on Rockfin only. We're about to go Rockfin exclusive. We should just do it soon, huh? We should do that soon. Rockfin exclusive, what do you think? What do you think? We got to go deep here. We got to go deep here. We're going to go Rockfin exclusive. You guys got any last questions or comments over there? You guys have any other uh, questions or comments over here? In uh, YouTube, you can send it through the uh, Streamlabs link. Thank you guys for supporting Sotiri. Thank you, Polygon. Thank you, Maddie Dakakuter Brown, Tommy Webb, Diego. Thank you guys for supporting. We appreciate that. You know, it's, it's, been, it's been slow. It's been slow over here on, uh, on YouTube. Well, support on YouTube. Well, some of you guys support the stream. Some of you guys showing some love, and we appreciate that. We're going live on Rockfin exclusive now. We're going to go deep into psychobiology, psychosocial control, technocracy, control of life at the basic fundamental level, and what the Rockefeller Foundation is doing in this new world war. Right now, the Rockefeller Foundation. We'll finish up here talking about the uh, uh, Standard Oil Monopoly Capital Foundation shell game called the Rockefeller Foundation that used the crises of the First and Second World War to spread its ideals of social control through universities, through public-private partnership, right, through Protestant churches, through businesses. The eugenics movement was huge. The idea of social hygiene, racial hygiene was pushed. You have this global hegemony created in the economic system as well as a global hegemony created in the, um, in the physical sciences. In the physical sciences, we've got the idea of taming the savage, right? Taming the savage. We must, uh, we have to take up the white man's burden. We have to tame the savage and we have to create a new man, the new science of man. The new science of man is necessary because... We must control man in order to bring about a new economic order, right? So a couple more quotes here from Lily E.K.'s book before we move into the next one because some of these are great for transitioning, right? Uh, here's a quote. World War I catapulted science to dominance with new configurations of power from the preparedness period in 1916 throughout the war effort and into the normalcy of 1920. Academic science in cooperation with revitalized business and industry played a central role in America's rise to world supremacy. The reciprocal effects of science and war transformed both enterprises. On the one hand, through this large-scale mobilization of science and the diverse cooperation, uh, the, uh, sorry, diverse cooperative war projects is spawned. Here you go, here's, here's crucial. Wireless communication, submarine detection devices, chemical warfare, pharmaceuticals, 
blood banks, and mental testing. Science permanently altered the nature of warfare and grew indispensable of it, uh, to it. On the other hand, these projects shaped the organization of scientific knowledge by placing a premium on interdisciplinary cooperation and on a liaison with industry and business. An organized scientific community emerged, notably a strong academic and industrial chemistry community, self-conscious of its weight in the political arena. Okay, skip forward a little bit here. Um, uh, the leaders of American science lobbied sub, uh, successfully for a substantial increase in financial support of science by the private sector. Now, listen who the private sector is, right? Notably, the Carnegie Corporation and the Rockefeller Foundation. What a surprise. The, the robber barons. The monopoly capitalists. The establishment of the National Research Council in 1918 and the Social Science Research Council in 1923, both strongly backed by the Rockefeller Foundation, signaled the beginning of a steady and close cooperation between academic science and the private sector. So... The result of World War I was chemical warfare, pharmaceuticals, right, big pharma, wireless communications, submarine detection devices, tracking and tracing human movement. All these ideas came about from the private-public partnerships during World War I. World War II catapulted Silicon Valley into... Uh, uh, into uh, becoming a major part of the, the economy. Back then it was called Microwave Valley, right? The, the, the ideas of radar. And so uh, 1918, we had the Spanish flu. We're gonna talk about that in a minute. We're gonna talk about the Rockefeller Foundation's possible connections with what was happening in 1918 beyond just World War I, beyond just the, uh, uh, the, uh, the October Revolution of 1917 and then the murder of the Tsar, right? The murder, the martyrdom of the Tsar, St. Tsar Nicholas II and his family, murdered by the Bolsheviks in the summer of 1918, right when you had the big wave of what they called Spanish influenza. Hmm. This also happened right when the Rockefeller Foundation was doing certain experiments within the U.S. military using pharmaceuticals and injectables. Okay, scientific management became one of the major buzz terms, one of the major buzzes at the time, scientific management of, science, of uh, technology, scientific management of, uh, of the universities, but also scientific management was a big idea within the churches. And guess who influenced the churches quite a bit? The Rockefeller Foundation as well. Here's a quote. The conjunction of technocracy, business, and religion that guided the missions, uh, <clears throat> the missions of the philanthropic foundations were very important in the conjunction of technocracy, business, and religion. During this decade of commercial growth, technocratic expansion, and the sweep of mass media, Americans generally shed their earlier mistrust of business, deifying private enterprise as a moral force and social service, a deification based on a synergy between religion and business. Scientific management entered the churches, transforming both their organization and their sermons. The contemporary literary genre that portrays heroes of the Old and New Testament to savvy businessmen attested to the success of the business ethos at the pulpit, and the Rockefeller Foundation was behind this. They were behind the World Council of Churches, ecumenism, the bringing about of this idea that, oh, look, all the churches are just one. They're all teaching the same thing. All the religions are just teaching the same thing. 
the UN, whose land was donated by Rockefeller, pushing these ideas. Okay, and the Protestant church has played a huge role in this. The Protestant ethic, again, another quote from Lily E.K., the Protestant ethic of thrift and industry wedded to so-called Christian qualities of charity, integrity, ambition, enterprise, and self-control materialized in worldly success. So again, the hijacking and the subjugation of the Protestant churches, which is crucial to understand as far as the history of the United States, the history of the West, you got guys like Frederick T. Gates was a Baptist minister and key figure in the Rockefeller hierarchy. Alan Gregg was a director of the Medical Sciences Division. And he said that Frederick T. Frederick T. Gates, this Baptist minister, was real influential on them. So he had this quote from Fred from Mr. Gates at a board meeting, right? So they would bring in these Baptist ministers. They'd bring in these Baptist ministers, this guy Fred T. Gates, and he would, he would get up in there, and he would, he would preach, and when you die and come to approach the judgment of Almighty God, what do you think he will demand of you? Yes, each one of you. Do you for an instant presume to think he will inquire into your petty failures, your trivial sins, your paltry virtues? No, he will ask you just one question. What did you do as a trustee of the Rockefeller Foundation? <laughs> the Rockefeller, what did you do for the Rockefeller Foundation? So again, that's the new God. No, a really good film that doesn't directly talk about the Rockefeller Foundation or the Rockefellers, but kind of in an ancillary way, There Will Be Blood with Daniel Day-Lewis, where you've got this, uh, this demonic, fake preacher trying to make his own little congregation church in this small town. Daniel Day-Lewis plays kind of a John D. Rockefeller type who's coming in to dominate them economically. And he tries to co-opt and take over the church. But then this Protestant ministers kind of, he had this ego clash, this major battle with this kid. Right? Daniel Plainview uh, had, this, had this major battle with, I forget the, what the kid's name is in there. But a, a great film, great film that kind of does pick apart the the Western worldview at the time and really does uh, show this like nihilistic clash between Protestantism and then just raw material, shrewd American expansionism and business and how corrupt both of them are and how they work together to destroy the families, to destroy the former way of life and ultimately bring about further industrialization and dehumanization. So, yeah, the, uh, the, the, the uh, bringing together of religion, technocracy, scientism as the new religion, and then, of course, internationalism. Internationalism. You've got, um, excuse me, you've got Raymond Fosdick, who was obsessed with social action. He started the... Uh, uh, was involved in the Bureau of Social Hygiene. He was also a staunch internationalist and a champion of the League of Nations. Right, This idea of, oh, after this world war, we need a global hegemony, a global hegemonic culture in order to stop future wars, to stop... Oops, am I still live on... What happened? Am I not live on Rockfin? I had to push go live again on the back end for some reason. We're live on Rockfin. Somebody on Rockfin, tell me if we're good. We still good on Rockfin?
Fosdick. Okay, there you go. Yeah, anyways, Fosdick, the League of Nations. Fosdick believed, here's a quote, Fosdick believed there had to be a place for social intervention based on neither populist prejudice and mob rule nor totalitarian coercion, but on principles of excellence, rationality, and science, right? So again, it's we can't have these totalitarian top-down regimes or these hyper-individualistic philosophies. It has to be based on science, scientism. So Fosdick, obsessed with scientism. Another quote, Fosdick's judgment that overinvestment in the physical sciences merely accelerated the pace of runaway technology and an underinvestment in the human sciences amplified the atavistic social response, became the guiding principle of the foundation's singular commitment to support the human sciences during the 1930s. So sociology, the social sciences, the sciences of social control, behaviorism, and ultimately human engineering. The term human engineering came into use about 1910. Human engineering, right? They developed models of human engineering. They based it on primatology. They based it on monkeys, you're all just monkeys. We're going to control you monkeys by controlling your environment. The studies gave primacy to personality, right? control of work, control of sex. Right? Freudian, behaviorism, Skinner ended up being important later on. Power of prediction to control through the quantification of human behavior was the goal. By the mid, uh, another quote, by the mid-1920s, social control formed the dominant paradigm in the human sciences. Thus, the important text called Means of Social Control by F.E. Lumley attempted to synthesize the accumulated knowledge on the subject, building on the sociological, sociological works of Ross, Sumner, Burgess, and Park, among others. The text acknowledged the insufficiency of definitions of social control, but explained that in familiar language, social control meant, this is an important quote, getting others to do, believe, think, feel as we wish them to do using the term we to stand for any authority who can have his way with others. So, again, might makes right. It's nihilism. The only meaning is power. The only thing there is, is control. If you can just control everything, you should, because that is what power is and that's what life's about. So the idea of eugenics, the idea of controlling genetics, became the promising road to ultimate control. The ideas of Julian Huxley and other eugenicists were incredibly important during this era. American eugenics started eliminating who they saw as unfit. Right? You had the idea of stopping the breeding of the unfit. we got to stop the breeding of unfit. The cultural anthropology, Freudianism, behaviorism, Offering the explanations of personality and behavior through control of sex, through control of the biology of the people, you can bring about a new science of man. A new science of man will bring about a new global order. And of course, this new global order will bring about peace. Okay, The Great Depression happens. The Soviet experiment is still going on. The leftist British colleagues within the uh, science and the politicized leaders of science were very inspired by the Soviet experiment that they call it. Remember, we had uh, a lot of inspiration of guys like Bertrand Russell, uh, the, the great Soviet experiment. Fosdick still was kind of one of the driving directors of the Rockefeller Foundation throughout the 1930s, and he helped to bring about and name the Science of Man agenda. Okay, so here is a, uh, the fully articulated 
agenda, the science of man through Fosdick of the uh, Rockefeller Foundation. Here's a quote. Science has made significant progress in the analysis and control of inanimate forces, but science has not made equal advances in the more delicate, more difficult, and more important problem of the analysis and control of animate forces. This indicates the desirability of greatly increasing emphasis on biology and psychology and upon those special developments in mathematics, physics, and chemistry, which are themselves fundamental to biology and psychology. The challenge of this situation is obvious. Can man gain an intelligent control of his own power? Can we develop so sound and extensive a genetics that we can hope to breed in the future superior men? Can we obtain enough knowledge through the physiology and psychobiology of sex so that man can bring this pervasive, highly important, and dangerous aspect of their life under, under rational control? And again, population control. Can we unravel the tangled problem of the endocrine glands and develop, before it is too late, the therapy for the whole hideous range of mental and physical disorders which result from glandular disturbances, right? So your mental and physical disorders, your broken families, your you know, crime, all these things, they're just a result of imbalances. If we can just balance your hormones, we'll fix it. And continue the quote. Can we solve the mysteries of the variant vitamins so that we can nurture a race sufficiently healthy and resistant? Right? Uh, we just, if we just give you the right, right supplements and vitamins, we can keep you alive with sort of synthetic vitamins. Uh, can we solve them? Uh, excuse me. Uh, can we release psychology from its present confusion and ineffectiveness and shape it into a tool which every man today can use? Can man acquire through knowledge of his own vital processes so that we can hope to rationalize human behavior? Can we, in short, create a new science of man? This new science of man would be based on current and future theories and techniques of social control, says Lily E.K. Many scientists, philosophers, and statesmen shared this conviction and possessed the necessary technique the trustees noted, but stimulation, support, and leadership were lacking. The Foundation's goal was to provide the leadership and resources for this coherent and strategic attack on the problems of human behavior. That's what it's about. It was about control of the human being. Okay, so then they ended up putting psychobiology became the new science of man, which ended up becoming molecular biology, and they broke it up into several different subjects. You had nine subjects, right? Psychobiology included psychiatry and neurophysiology. Then you had the internal secretions, the hormones, the enzymes, etc., then you had nutrition, vitamins, etc. Radiation effects, right? This idea of like mutating through radiation. Um, you, you see this also in the modern weaponry of ELF, VLF weaponry. I mean, it's an extension of this early research into the control of the organism. The fifth one, biology of sex. The sixth one, experimental and chemical embryology. Seventh, genetics. Eighth is general physiology, cell physiology, nerve conduction, etc. Ninth is biophysics and biochemistry. Right? So the breakdown of those nine basic segments for the psychocontrol, the psychosocial control of man. Okay, these ideas of psychosocial control went beyond just the biological organism, right? They also wanted to be a look at uh, major features of American culture, development of the personality personal and social problems and worldviews, right? Controlling your worldviews, where the World Council of Churches comes in. This is where the, uh, the control of the churches, the control of the ideology of the people became of crucial importance for the Rockefeller Foundation. Okay, so the social sciences were weaponized. The social sciences became a weapon 
It was about studying the organization and reactions of living matter at its basic fundamental level. This became the new medicine, right? Looking at the smallest bits, the subcellular biology and the biology of molecules, right? If you can just control the little tiny bits of matter, then you can control all of nature. Right? We want to control ultimately and rationalize, right? Rationalize and bring under rational control, they call it, although they can't even define reason, all of, all of human behavior. Right, so they did this through universities like Stanford, Columbia, Harvard, Wisconsin, University of Chicago. Okay, and this wedded the idea of engineering with the physical sciences, right? So the idea of engineering of biology became the dominant paradigm. And this was all due to the Rockefeller Foundation's interests, due to the Rockefeller Foundation influence. And here's a quote, wedded to engineering and the physical sciences, the new biology was implanted in a cognitive institutional matrix that would foster an understanding of life inspired by visions of human engineering. Again, that's Lily E.K.'s book, Molecular, uh, I'm sorry, um, Caltech, the, I'm sorry, wait, 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 there we go. The Molecular Vision of Life, Caltech, the Rockefeller Foundation of the Rise of the New Biology. Right, then we looked at the introduction, we looked at the first chapter titled Social Control. There are tons of citations in there. If you get the copy of this book, you'll be able to dig deeper in all these subjects. But you know what? We're going over. We're going to go deep now on how this applies to the new crisis. The new crisis brought about by the same old players. The same old players. The new crisis, the new war is against a ubiquitous enemy that's everywhere. And of course, this new crisis requires the mobilization of the sciences, the physical sciences, the behavioral sciences, the social sciences, the biological sciences, in order to create a war effort against the invisible enemy, as Trump called it, the coronavirus. So we, we can't talk about a lot of this stuff on YouTube. Guess why? Because YouTube's a freaking joke. Because YouTube is a freaking joke and they have hid this channel, they have shadow banned this channel into oblivion. They don't give you guys notifications, unfortunately. But hey, go over there to Rockfin right now. Jump over on Rockfin. You can sign up for a free account. You can watch this while we're live on Rockfin. If you're watching this after the fact, the second half of this is going to be premium members only. Right? So you can make a free account. You can watch all the free stuff that we put up on Rockfin for free. But if you want the premium content, you're going to have to get a subscription. Highly suggest you guys subscribe. That is how we are actually able to get some get some semblance of, um, of funding going here for the work that we do here. Yeah, so this is, a, this is a labor of love. We're trying to wake people up. We're trying to give you guys uh, not just entertainment. We're not just trying to entertain you. Sometimes it's just entertainment. But today we're going deep. Today we're going hard on the Rockefeller Foundation, the rise of the new biology, and the new normal. Right? Rockefeller Foundation, these guys have been programming new normals for 100 years. And the new normal that they're trying to give us is just an extension of what they have been doing for the last hundred years. It is the culmination of a hundred years of biological sciences and social sciences being dominated by this hegemonic block of big money interests. They've completely cornered the pharmaceutical industry, the agricultural sciences. 
All right, so I guess in the next episode, in the next stream, we're going to go deeper into the domination of agriculture, right? The green revolution, the gene revolution. Guess who's behind that? Guess what money's behind that? Now, I'm not, so we're not saying the Rockefeller Foundation is behind everything, that everything that happens in the world is directed by the Rockefeller Foundation, but the direction that the sciences have taken over the last hundred years, the direction that the response to the COOF is taken, the direction of the technocracy that we see being assembled and justified in order to, be, uh, in order to respond to World War flu is all coming from the Rockefeller Foundation's playbook. So we're going deep into this. We're going to talk about lockstep. We're going to talk about national COVID-19 testing action plan pragmatic steps to reopen our workplaces and our community. We're talking about social distancing, contact tracing, mass drugging, and the connections to the eugenics movement, the connections to the deep agenda, the not-so-hidden agenda, although some people... To some people, it seems hidden. Not so hidden agenda of the Rockefeller Foundation and of the global technocracy. All right. So Thierry donated 30 Australians over there in, uh, in YouTube, on YouTube. She's watching on YouTube. She donated via Streamlabs. Thank you so much, Thierry. Thank you so much, Tommy Webb, Diego, Polygon. Satiri said, hey, my brother. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, Tristan, keep up the good work, brother. Stay strong. Satiri is a Greek name. means salvation. That's, that's cool. Is that how you is that how you uh, say it, Sotiri? I like that. It's a good name for a daughter. Go make me a daughter, Jessica. <laughs> All right, um, Sotiri, thank you so much. We uh, we appreciate the uh, the support from you guys. You guys who do support, you guys who want to go watch on Rockfin. You guys who want to watch the second half, go over there on Rockfin right now. There is nothing. There is nothing. That YouTube can do to stop this. We'll be over there live on Rockfin. Second half. Let me transition. Just gonna close this for a second. Go use the restroom real quick. You guys hold on a moment. YouTube. We're out of here on YouTube. And um, if you want the second half, you gotta go over to Rockfin. There's a link in the description below. We'll see you guys next time on YouTube. Rockfin only right now. We'll see you guys in just a moment over there on Rockfin.